1 Corinthians chapter 1. How many of you love your Bible? Oh, that's, that's weak sauce. Come on, how many love your Bible? I mean, you just, you just have to read it every day. All right. Come on now. You've got to be honest now. You guys remember the story of Moses? You guys all know about Moses? There's movies about Moses. Moses stuck his, well, really Aaron, I think it was, stuck his staff in the ground, but Moses saw the waters part. Remember the waters parted? You guys remember watching that? That would have been a cool thing to watch, huh? We weren't there, but that would have been really nice to actually see these waters part. Well, Moses, when they crossed under, uh, were really through the dry ground, they, uh, they got onto the other side, they're heading to the promised land, and uh, they didn't have food, and so uh, they called on God to bring down food, and God said he's going to bring down some food. And so what he did is he brought down this stuff that they call manna. Manna. Tastes kind of like honey. Kind of like uh, wheat thins. No, not wheat thins. Kind of like just, just plain, plain crackers with honey on them. It's kind of what they tasted like, but they would melt in your mouth. And, and every day, the guy would bring down this manna for everybody to eat. It was like bread. And they had to go get it every day. It was their source of life every day. And if they didn't get their manna, they'd be hungry and starving all day because that was the only food they could eat. Unless they just went crazy and started eating each other. And that wouldn't have been good. So, and the, th- the same applies with us today. This is our manna from heaven. The Bible, the Word of God. This is our source of life. If you meditate on this Word and you get your mind and your heart wrapped up and caught up in this word, you will not be dissatisfied. You will not be dissatisfied. It's the word of God. It's our manna. Come on, say, my manna. My manna. manna. It's important that we read and we eat of our manna every day. How many know you live a little different when you are always in your word? How many know that your paths are a little bit straighter when you're in your word? All the junior hires said, amen. amen. There you go. Amen, man. You guys there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Yep. All right, sweet. Verse uh, 29. No, it's verse 26. Verse 26. This is what it says in the New King James, so we can kind of get what it, what it says there, and then we'll read it out of the message. It says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And to the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. In other words, no flesh should brag about Himself. But of Him, if you're going to glory, glory of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness sanctification and redemption, big words, we'll kind of talk about that tonight, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in 
the Lord. Last week we talked about my brag. You remember my brag? Sweet. Three, you remember my brag? Anybody else remember my brag? Well, and I read a scripture at the very end, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 26 through 31. (laughs) It says, take a good look. Say, look. Man. Say, look. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. This is going to be really encouraging, so buckle up. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential. Not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that, are, that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies? How many feel blessed tonight already? Yeah. You just feel blessed. <laughs> chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. In other words, you can't, you can't praise yourself and get by with it. You can't talk good about yourself and get by with it. Everybody around you is going to think you're an idiot. And God's going to go, you don't know what you're doing. You're not going to get by with it. Everything that we have, right thinking, which is wisdom, right living, which is righteousness, a clean slate, which is sanctification, and talks about that, and a fresh start, which in here is redemption. So he talks about all these things. He kind of clarifies those things. And right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, and right thinking. All these things, they come from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. If you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. The past uh, few weeks, the first three weeks of the year, we looked at three uh, different topics. We talked about, how many, actually, how many can remember? If you remember, I'll buy you, and I mean this, tonight I'm going out to Applebee's. I'm lying. I ain't going to Applebee. That's nasty. I just want to see how many of you are going to say, yes. I haven't been there in three years, man. I got convicted a long... I'm just kidding. I'm going to... I think I'm going to the tooth tonight. And, and if you get this right, and, and I'm going to have to pick one of you. If you get this right, I'm going to buy you... I'm buying you a large pizza, man. Stop it. Buy you... Cheese sticks. I'll buy you some cheese sticks. I'll buy you some cheese sticks. Bread sticks with cheese on them. So cheese bread sticks. If you get this right, I'm going to buy you personally cheese bread sticks. But if I buy them, you've got to let me have at least one. I get one of them. The question is, what were the three, three first messages... We talked about this this year. The three first messages. The three first. Really? The three first messages. Paul. Okay. The first one was your hope of, in life. The second was the source in life. And the third was the dragon life. Yeah, boy! 
Good job, Paul. Well, tonight I owe you some cheesy breadsticks, man. So three different topics. My hope in life, my source in life, and my brag. What do you brag about in life? These three things. Very, very important. Looking at a new year, 2010. How many of you have already started your year pretty well? You've had some bumps, but God's been doing good things in you. You've been growing. Good things? About seven of you, eight? Eight of you. Can I get a hand? Nine? Ten? Okay, there it is. These three things are really important that we have the right thing set in place. That we have our right, that we have the right hope, we have the right source, and we have the right brag. We're bragging about the right things. We're going to the right things for source in life. And we're looking forward to the right things. And what we're looking forward to is God. And in Him alone, He is our only hope. The source of life for us is Jesus, knowing Jesus and pursuing Him intimately. Not because you're trying to get a girlfriend, not because you're trying to get a boyfriend. But you pursuing Him because you love Him and because of all that He has done for you. And thirdly, you're bragging about the right thing. You're not bragging about your heritage, the stories and and the good things that you've done. You're not bragging about your family tree line, which is your heritage. You're not bragging about all, all the, the, the material possessions you have. You brag about one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. It's what He did for us 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen. This is so important that we get this starting a new year, that we're, we're going to the right thing in life, and it's all about Christ. It's all about knowing Him, and that He's our confidence, and He's our hope. Tonight I want to talk about look. Say look. I want to talk about look because we're going to be going into a series sooner than later. And and this could be kind of like uh, the precursor to a series talking about the reasonable life. And it's important that you understand and that all of us understand that you're not going to live a reasonable life. When I say reasonable, we could also translate that just saying you're not going to live a godly life if you don't understand something, it's so important. And the thing you have to understand is what you already have in Christ and what Christ has already done for you. So important. And so I want to talk about look tonight. I want to talk about what are we looking at tonight. Because I really believe that if you're looking at the right things and if you examine what you already have, you're going to be thankful, you're going to be faithful, and you're going to be graceful. If you examine what you have, you're going to appreciate it and be real thankful. You're going to appreciate it and you're going to be real faithful. And you're going to appreciate it and you're going to be graceful. You're going to give it away. And so I really think I want to take some time to examine what we have. Does that sound good? There'll be a lot of scriptures tonight. I'll probably yell a lot. I don't mean to, but it might just happen. But stay with me. It's really important that you hear the things that we talk about tonight. Because this tonight is going to be, it is the foundation of your faith. The things I talk about tonight, it is the foundation of your faith. Would you pray with me? Alright. Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful and thankful, God, for your mercy that you've shown us, God. 
God, we're so grateful. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to be here tonight with all these awesome young people and young adults and high schoolers and uh, junior hires. Father, I thank you, God, that you've put us here tonight. I thank you, Lord, you have a purpose and plan for us. And God, I'm asking that you would encourage each one of us tonight. Cause us to leave with hearts full of hope and inspired and full of love and thankfulness, God. Cause us to really, truly come and draw near, nearer and closer to you, God, that we might hear your voice and that you transform our hearts and make us more like you. Thank you for your word. And God, I'm asking you to help us to apply it to our life and teach us how to. And God, help me to communicate this word accurately so that we can all understand what you want to encourage, with, or encourage us tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. And bless Andrew on his birthday tomorrow. Amen. How many of you know about the Chinese gift exchange? You guys ever done the Chinese gift exchange? Why are they called the Chinese gift exchange? Anybody have that answer? The white elephant? Is that what it's called? Oh, well, I grew up in Willow. I don't know those kind of terminologies. I'm sorry. The Chinese gift exchange is... Pretty much uh, everybody buys a gift, and usually the people that are hosting, they kind of establish, like, all right, this is how much money you, 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 uh, you must spend. You're, you're sorry, you cannot spend more than this. They give you a limit. You can't spend more than 20 bucks. And sometimes if you go to a college one, they'll say you can't spend more than 99 cents. So everybody's got gum, and everybody brings a pack of gum in, and this happens. Or something from home, you know, a sock or something out of your drawer. But sometimes you have things that are like 20 bucks, you know, 50 bucks. And so I go to this one this last uh, Christmas. I went to a family uh, gift, uh, Chinese gift exchange. And uh, me and uh, Ashley, we brought a pretty awesome uh, gift. We brought uh, like this hot cocoa and, uh, <laughs> and uh, it had like four mugs in it. And uh, this was kind of a family deal. It wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, there wasn't like a bunch of kids or anything like that. It was older people. So uh, this gift made sense. So we had like four mugs, hot cocoa, and it had like all these like things in packages with all this chocolate. And it was, a, it was actually a pretty nice gift. Actually, it, was, it went beyond the limit. Pretty radical. And uh, I, 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 really got frustrated with Ashley because she wanted to go, she wanted to buy this thing and I was frustrated with her because I was like, it's too much money, you know, and, and uh, she bought it anyway, but I thought it was a pretty good gift and so when you kind of, you arrive at this place and you're kind of, you're kind of in this, kind of in this, uh, there's this anticipation, there's this expectation of what the heck am I going to get tonight and uh, you're kind of wondering, I'm bringing this and I'm going to walk out with something and uh, you're hoping for the best thing, you know. And well, we show up, and there's really big gifts, and there's really small gifts, and then there's gifts that are wrapped in uh, every different kind of uh, store, American Eagle and Nordstrom's, and then you got, you know, a Chili's wrapping, and you got every, every kind of gift wrapping you could imagine uh, is there. And there's really, really big ones, and there's really, really small ones. And so some people think, if I get the really big one, then I might get something good, you know, but then you just get a bunch of boxes with a little, you know, gift card for five bucks to Claudia's or something inside of it. And so there's this guessing game. You, 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 you go pick up the box and you shake it to listen to it. and The whole time you're trying to pick the best one. Anybody know what I mean? You've been there before? Yay or nay? Okay, so game starts. We're sitting around. 
and the competition begins. And the funny thing is, it's not supposed to be a competition. Uh, but this kind of happens to be that. It just turns out that way. And uh, actually, you were there. This was fun. Well, get, things started being unwrapped, and, uh, and uh, ghetto things were coming out. I mean, it happens every year. Like, why would you bring a stinking cutting board? I'm not taking a cutting board home with me. And it was a fish cutting board. Do you remember that? Did you take that home? It was still a cheese cutting board. Remember? It was a cutting board. It was blue. It was glass. And it was shaped in a cheese. Or it was shaped in a fish. And it was some kind of cheese cutting board or something. It was, it was really ghetto. And I think that was one of the first ones that, that I opened. And then there was, there, was some, there was some many other ones. There was a bunch of, some of them had movies, and that was pretty cool. And some of them had uh, uh, gift cards and, and to, to movies. And some of them had tickets to movies. And uh, so there's a, a huge variety of gifts. I think there's probably like 26 gifts there. Well, I opened up mine, and I don't even know what my first one was because we traded so many times. But came down to the end, we got a minute left, and uh, long story short, we get a blanket. A blankie. A white blankie. It came out to happen to me. I don't know why everybody's fighting for this. We're sitting there and everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's the best one. And it's just a white blanket. Rolled up, white blanket. And I'm confused. I don't understand why everybody's going and fighting for this white blanket because it's a white blanket. And it's not like a blanket you can really get warm in. It's like a blanket that you just look at it and it's a de- decoration. It's almost like a rug or maybe even a towel to dry you off when you get out of the shower. It's that small. And so I'm confused. Why are we, and Ashley's getting excited for this blanket and everybody's fighting for this blanket. Everybody's stealing this blanket. I'm going, what in the world is up with the blanket? And I, I was realizing that, well, it is kind of soft. So I was acting like, well, man, this is a really cool deal. You know, on the inside I'm thinking, this is the stupidest gift I could have brought next to the fish deal. So I'm kind of confused. And so I am fighting with her to get this deal, and you have them one minute, and everybody's trying to make their last trade, and we end up with a white blankie. So we bring it to our car, and I'm like, this is so stupid. You know, this, this one's got five bucks at, like, Value Village or something. I don't even know why we got this thing. Well, I stick it in my car, and the whole, the rest of the night, I was, I was just thinking about, why was everybody so passionate about getting this white blanket? I didn't get it. I still don't get it. I had nothing to do with my message. So anyways, no, I'm just kidding. I come to find out that there was two tickets stuck to the blanket. There's two of these movie tickets that were taped on to the blanket. And this is what everybody was going for, were these movie tickets that were stuck to this blanket. And uh, come to find out that I never even saw the blankets, and I actually found out that I actually lost these tickets. And uh, I was kind of frustrated, but I really wasn't. But I, I walked away from that whole deal, and I realized something. I realized that it's really important to examine your gifts. It's really important that you actually take a look at what you get. Because if you don't look at what you get, you can't really appreciate what you get. Do you know what I mean? You guys ever open up a Christmas present? And for me, we show up at Christmas, presents everywhere. You just open them, and you're, you have that one thing that you're hoping that you're going to get. And so you just open them, and you're throwing the ones that you don't even care about. And they actually happen to be actually pretty nice things, but you just don't even take a chance to even look at them, so you just kind of move on, and you just open up the next one. And then at the end of the deal, you don't even find the thing you really wanted, so you're frustrated the whole night. Have anybody else, or am I the only loser? No. Probably just me. I'm the only selfish guy. 
I'm just kidding. I don't get frustrated. But it's so important that we take time to examine our gifts. And I'm not talking practically now. I'm talking spiritually, obviously. That you take time to examine. You take time to look at what it is that you have. Because if you don't take time to look at what you have, you're not going to appreciate what you have. As a matter of fact, if you don't take time to look at what you have and appreciate what you have, you're always going to be looking for something else. You're going to be trying to see if you can exchange that thing that you got with somebody else. You'll start finding out that what you got isn't what you really wanted, but the truth is that if you really looked at what you got, you actually really wanted what you got. And so we have this culture of comparison today, competition, where people are always comparing with one another, and they're wishing they had what somebody else had, but they're not taking a break to stop and look at what they got. It's so important that we stop to examine what we got in life, especially coming into a new year. It's so easy to be looking at what we want to get, you know what I mean? And so it's so easy that when you walk into a store to go shopping for other people to look for things that you want yourself. Isn't that true? Am I the only bad person here? Or is that true? Is that maybe I'm the only one tempted? I don't know. Do you know what I mean though? But man, when you get that thing, when you when you when you stop, drop, and examine, you thought I was gonna say roll. I wasn't gonna say roll. When you stop, drop, and examine, why do I got to drop to examine? I don't know. You stop, drop, and you examine this thing that you got, you can really learn to appreciate it. And I'm not just talking about your personal graces and your personal gifts and your ability to do a backflip uh, 1080 on a snowboard. If you can do that, my goodness, that's pretty sweet. And if, they, if you can do that, that's cool. That's a gift. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about the gift of eternal life. I'm talking about the gift of knowing Jesus. I'm talking about your personal gift that was granted, that was given to you through Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in Him. And tonight, I want to take time to examine and to look at this seriously and intentionally and accurately. Look at what it is that He did what it is that He did and what He did for us. So what was the work that He did and what did He give to us? And I really believe that if we take time to examine this, the most important truth of salvation and eternal life in Christ, if we take time to examine this, you will live a reasonable life. Because when you take time to examine it, It teaches and trains you to say no to ungodliness. This is what Titus 2 says. And to say yes to godliness and to the things of God. It will teach you to be thankful and grateful and to praise God. It will teach you to serve other people. Because when you stop to examine salvation, when you stop to examine Christ, you will be compelled to live a godly life. And man, maybe you're already living the most reasonable, godly life you can live. But it ain't going to hurt to take some time to look at Christ. To look at Jesus. No matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how insignificant you might think you are, 
the most important truth, the most important value known to man is the stuff I'm going to talk about tonight. It's Christ, it's His work, and it's what He gave you. And I think you will, you will, you will begin to appreciate Jesus. You'll begin to appreciate what He gave you. You'll begin to appreciate reading your Word and the opportunity you have to read your Bible. You'll begin to appreciate when people talk about Jesus. You'll begin to appreciate praise and worship. You'll begin to appreciate life. And your whole life won't be con- con- uh, uh, caught up with trying to get something. You'll be content with what you got in Christ. And that's what I want to do tonight. Is that if you're a Christian tonight, I want to show you what you have. And if you're not, I want to encourage you what you could have simply by faith. You excited? So tonight, we're going to look, we're going to examine, and we're going to trust God to do a new work in our hearts to cause us to live reasonable. First part tonight is look and be thankful. That's what we're talking about tonight. Look and be thankful. Because of His work. Because of His work. If you're taking notes tonight, you can take notes. I'm going to have simple bullet points clear, concise, it's going to be nice fit in a nice little package. It's almost like you're reading the whole New Testament. And I picked some of the most important things that we're going to look at. First part, Jesus was a man. Come on, say that with me. Jesus Jesus was was a man. One of the most important beliefs of Christianity is the incarnation. Jesus became a man. God in heaven became a man on earth. Jesus was a man. John 1.11 says, He came to His own. And then it says, And His own did not receive Him. But to as many as received Jesus, to them He gave the right to be called children of God. Born not of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but born of God. Jesus became a man. That's good news. And if anybody tells you differently, it's a lie from the devil and, it is, and if anybody tells you it's not a big deal whether or not Jesus was born, uh, became a man or not, and whether he was, well, he was kind of man, but he's really just totally God, or really, well, he was just like a spiritual being that looked like a man, that's a lie. It's important for our faith, for us to understand that Jesus became like one of us. Because if he didn't come like one of us, then he couldn't have bore our sin. Jesus became a man. He came to his own. Second part is that he lived a sinless life. No man has lived a sinless life but the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted in every way. I think this the other day. Man, He was tempted in every way, but He didn't sin. He's a man. He was the man of God. He lived a sinless life. And this is so important for you to understand. Because if he fell one time, then all of what Christ did became ineffective. And it has no value. And all that he did, he did in vain. But if he lived sinless, he did what no man can do. And he did what every man was supposed to do. He lived, by the way, a reasonable life. 
Jesus wasn't radical. He wasn't some crazy radical man. He just led reasonable because he knew his father. And when you know your father, you just simply live godly. Now our pursuit in life is to continue to live more and more godly. My pursuit with you is to live more and more reasonable like Jesus. That's all of our pursuit. But how many of you know we all fall? But Jesus didn't. He was sinless. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father for our righteousness. This is the third point. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father. Romans 5.19 says, The obedience of the one man made the many righteous. Because Jesus was obedient, because he was obedient to the Father in every decision, everything that God told him to do, even in the Scripture, he was obedient to that. He made us righteous. How does that work, Gary? That doesn't even make any sense. How can one man who was obedient make, make all those other people righteous? Because he became the person that we put our faith in. And if we put our faith in Him, we then stand in Him and our position is in Christ. And now God looks at us through the obedience of Christ. And so now because of Jesus' obedience, God says that man or that woman to put their faith in Him is now righteous. This is an important part. Not just that He was sinless, but that He was obedient to the point of death. Every decision he made was because God, the Father, had told him to do it. He was obedient. And because of his obedience, we are righteous. He was treated as a sinner. He was treated as a sinner, or he was treated as a shamed person for our shame. Luke 22, 63-65 says, They mocked him and beat him. They blindfolded him and struck him on the face. Many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. Other scriptures say that they, we find out we know that he was flogged. They beat him and ripped the skin off of his back and did many other things to him. Spit on him made fun of him. He was treated as a sinner. He was a sinless man, yet treated as the ultimate sinner for us. He was shamed for our shame. He became the shame of the world that we would become the righteousness of God in him. He didn't defend himself, and he didn't put up a fight. He actually put himself on the cross freely. If somebody shows a video of Jesus trying to fight to get off the cross, it's not true. Jesus probably helped them get on the cross. He probably helped them put the nails in his hands because it was a voluntary deal. He said, at any moment I can call a legion of angels to destroy all of you, but I'm not going to do it because I'm going to be shamed so that all those that put their faith in me can be confident as sons of God and be righteous in me. Jesus was sinless, yet treated as a sinner. He was hung on a cross as our substitute. So important. Jesus went on a cross. 
Jesus literally was hung on a cross. And I'd encourage you even to help you just to see what it was like to study. What was a crucifixion like 2,000 years ago? And why did the Romans do it? It's kind of uh, grotesque, but it's also, I think, important to see what Jesus went through. It'll encourage your faith. It really will. He was hung on a cross. Next point was condemned by God for our sin. Isaiah 53, 6 says, The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. The sin of us all was on Jesus. He died in our place. Jesus died in our place. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was buried. Remember, He was put in a tomb, a rich man's tomb, which was a prophecy. Which, by the way, He fulfilled all the prophecies that were made about Him. Which is very important. A lot of things were said about Jesus. And he fulfilled every single one that was said about him. And one of them was he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. And he was buried in a rich man's tomb. He rose on the third day. He appeared to hundreds of people. Over 500 people he appeared to. And he did that for our testimony. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6 says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul was speaking this to encourage those people in Corinth that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And if He rose from the dead, and your faith is in Him, you will also likely rise from the dead. Guys, this is not just a, an encouragement for older people. This is an encouragement for all creation. No matter how young or how old. This is the good news of Jesus. For all of us. And we need to know what it's about. We need to know that He became a man. That He lived a sinless life. That He was perfectly obedient. We need to know that He was treated as a sinner. We need to know that He hung on a cross and He was condemned by God for our sin. We need to know that He died in our place. That He was buried... And that three days later, he rose again. And he appeared to over 500 men. That's important for you to know. And for you to put your faith on that. And then he ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven. He ascended into heaven. He didn't hang out here. He went to heaven. He went to heaven, the Bible says, in, uh, I think it's in Romans 5. I don't have it here. I don't know why. But he, he... He rose for our justification. He had to go to the Father and plead our case to let let Him know that all those that put their faith in Me are justified. Ephesians 1 says that He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus became a man. He came to earth and became a man. He lived sinless. He was perfectly obedient. He was treated as a sinner. He hung on a cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He appeared to many people. And then he he was seated on the throne next to the Father where He rules, He reigns, and every power, every dominion, everything that you might fear is under His feet. And He is the only one for man to fear. Jesus is the center of our faith. 
And it is the most important, he is the most important idea, person, if you want to say thing, for you to study and know, Jesus is the one. That's what he did. That was his working. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Probably the most important phrase that he said, it is finished. Because the work of Christ, the work of Christ is what earned our rightful place with God. Because of what Jesus did, because of his work, we can stand before God boldly and confidently. We're not saved by works. But I will say tonight, you're saved by works, and it's the works of Jesus. Jesus didn't just get by. He did everything right. And you're saved by His works and your faith in Him and His works. So His works are an important thing. Everything He did is important. And He did it for the next point. He did it to give us some things. This is what He did. To show us mercy. Jesus did all this. God did all this to show you mercy. To forgive us of our sins. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or for the remission of sins. Anybody at any time, anywhere, any tribe, any tongue, any language, any nation, at any time, no matter where, no matter how, can fall on their face and ask Christ to forgive them and to receive the forgiveness. And at that moment, they become a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's good news. He did all that. He did all that work and he came to, he came to earth and he did all the work for that. He did it to make us holy. Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in him that we should be holy and without blame in him. He did it to give us a clean slate. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know the scripture. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. He did it to seat us in heavenly places. Jesus isn't the only one sitting up there. Spiritually, we all, in Christ, are seated in heavenly places. You know where your citizenship is? It's not in Anchorage, Alaska. Now, maybe it is temporarily and practically here on earth. But your real citizenship is in heaven, seated with Christ. You're in a big house with a big God on your little side. That's good news. It makes sense why they call it the gospel. Because all you got to do is put your faith in Jesus. And he raises you up with him and sits you in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6 says, it says it may, he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.9 says, indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. This is so important. Jesus said in John 16 that He was going to send the Spirit to dwell in us. He did all that work so He could send the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, to come and dwell in your mortal body. So that now as a Christian, when you put your faith in God, the Holy Spirit makes His home within your body. And now God of the universe, I'm trying to help you examine your faith. Tonight I'm trying to help you to see the present and the gift that you got. Because if you don't see that Christ lives in you by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be appreciative and you're not going to be thankful. 
So right now, don't just look at me like, oh, this is some good stuff. you gotta, you got to sit here and think with me for a moment that Christ lives in you by the Holy Spirit. And that is some good news. Not just some of us. Not just some of those that preach and teach and lead worship. But every man and every woman that puts their faith in Jesus. Christ lives in you by the Holy Spirit. That's some important stuff because that's why Jesus came. The lawgiver, the one who gave the law, came to live inside of you. Not just for no reason, not just to make his home in you, but to give you an inheritance. And to make sure that your inheritance was sure. And then to live his life through you, that you can live godly in this age. In this day, he gives you the ability so that you can't say anymore, well, I can't do it because of my sinful nature. No, you're born again. You're a new man. You're a new woman in Christ. God dwells in you. And at any moment, you can choose to set your mind on the spirit or on the flesh. Christ lives in you by the Holy Spirit. This is an important deal, and we need to take time to examine it. And I promise you, you say, Gabriel, I'm struggling with so many things. This doesn't apply with me. It does. As a matter of fact, it is the key of your faith that if you realize, you recognize, you come to grips with the truth that Christ lives in you, you will live an easy life. A light life that Jesus promised. Amen? Amen. Jesus lives in you by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, He adopts us as His children. Ephesians 1.5 says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus. We're sons and daughters of God in Christ. He gives us his son's inheritance. The inheritance that Jesus has, which is all things, is given to you. Because you're in Jesus. You with me? If you're with me, say you're with me. With you. All right. He gives us access to Him and His throne. Ephesians 4.16 says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. I'm not going to come trickling in. I'm not going to come hoping. I'm not going to come trying to pray the right things. I'm going to come boldly. Not with an earthly confidence because of what I've done, because I read the Bible so much, because I prayed the right prayer. I'm going to come boldly because of what Jesus did for me. I'm coming boldly. Here I come. Because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. He gave you access. I think it's Ephesians 2, 18 or 19. It says that we have access by the Spirit, through Jesus, to the Father. We have access by the Spirit, through Jesus, to the Father. You have access. Nobody has had access except one time a year the high priest was able to go to him But now any person, at any time, can have access and can step into the throne of grace where God gives mercy and He gives grace abundantly. This is good news. He gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3 That's good news. We can go on and on for that, but we've got time to do that. He gives us all things pertaining to life. Everything you need, He gives it to you. He gives us love. He gives us joy. He gives us peace, patience, kindness. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. That's not your working, that's His. That's His working in you. That is yours if you simply, by faith, choose to access the fruit of God. 
He can work in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Don't try to do it yourself. Put your faith in Him and allow it to naturally and easily work. That's yours. To live godly is yours because of what Jesus did. He gave us the right to use the authority of His name. Remember Acts 3 when they told that guy who was standing at the gate and he couldn't get in, but he would beg people all the time. And they told him to stand up. Remember that story? He was a lame man and he got healed. Do you guys remember that story? That was because of the name of Jesus. And we have the name of Jesus. It's another good promise. He gave us grace to serve unto Him and to edify His people. Each of you have a gift. Each of you have a gift. Man and woman. Each of you have a gift. You have a grace. God has given you a gift. Ephesians 4.7 talks about this. That when He ascended, He gave gifts to men. And 1 Corinthians 12.7 talks about gifts as well. These are scriptures you can write and you can study. God gave you gifts to serve Him and to edify His people. I'm almost there. Hold on with me. To make us able to be partakers of the divine nature. Of His divine nature. Do you know that you have the ability to partake of the divine nature of God? It's in your access. It'd be like somebody gave you a 2010 Ferrari and said, here, it's yours. And what most Christians do is we look at that Ferrari and say, I'm not worthy. I can't do that. It's not, I didn't do anything to deserve that. It's not, that's not the point. The point is I gave it to you. Take it and have fun. God has given you the access to His divine nature. You can walk in and with Him. It's yours. He's opened our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 16, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. He gave us a promise of grace upon grace forever. That if you're in Jesus, God's going to keep pouring out grace upon grace upon grace, which in other words is God's going to continue to pour out Himself into you forever. And finally, He gave us the promise of eternal life. Can you say good news? Just like me when I saw that gift and I didn't appreciate it. Because I didn't know what it was. I didn't examine it. I didn't take time to look. And tonight I want to help you. And by all these things, by these points, by you realizing what Jesus did and the work that He did, that you simply, by putting your faith in Him, and you keeping your faith in Him, can access all this. You'll be discouraged. You'll be frustrated with life. You'll be upset. You'll be confused. You'll believe lies. You'll give up if you don't take time to examine daily what Jesus did and what He gave you. So I should see a little bit more smiles on some faces. Because this is good news. 
you should be challenged and encouraged. You should be challenged to take time, to take the discipline, to set your mind on Christ. Colossians 3 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things below, but on things above where Christ is seated. You can set your mind on whatever you want. I encourage you to daily set your mind on Christ. And set your mind on Him, what He did, and what He gave you. Or you will be discouraged. But man, when we take time to examine, when we take time to look at Jesus and what He's done, and what you have in Him, it will cause you to be thankful. It ought to cause us to say thank you, to have grateful hearts. And if we're not grateful, one, either we haven't really realized what He's done, or two, we think we deserved it. And the first one, I think I hope I took care of it for you tonight. I think I showed you what He's done. And let us not think that we deserve it. But let us realize that it was because of mercy. It was because of mercy. It was because of God's love that He so desperately wanted and wants to know you. This isn't just a one-time event where you take a look and you say, well, Jesus, thank you, I got my card. But this is a day-by-day pursuit. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Let us look unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Some guys are carrying some chairs back there. You don't got to look at it, Caleb. The author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We got to keep our mind and keep our eyes on him. And if we do this, you'll be thankful. And you won't be looking for all the things you can get or try to achieve in life. You'll be grateful and thankful for what you already have in Christ. But if you stop looking, if you stop examining, if you don't take time in the morning, just some time to examine, just some time to observe, just some time to gaze on Him and to meditate on your Bible, you lose hope. You don't have a source. You don't even know what to brag about. And so you do everything you can to encourage yourself, You do everything you can to find security. You do everything you can for somebody to look at you to give you some type of applause. Man, when you continue to examine Christ and who He is in your Word, and look at Him, and behold Him, He does a work in you and for you that you cannot do. Would you stand with me?